your life is too important to be boiled down to remembering one thing, that shortcuts are overrated and you ought to look for the long cut every time you can. Good morning, everybody. Colin Morgan here, and we are back with episode number 100 of The Daily Grind, where I speak to amazing people five days a week, dive into how they got to where they are, share with you the obstacles that they had to overcome to hopefully get you up off your ass and start living the life you've always wanted to live. This show is for grinders, people who are motivated to change, dedicated to taking action, and driven to being great. Today's episode is brought to you by Bulletproof Coffee. Just like the food you put into your body, the quality of your coffee matters. Bulletproof Coffee gives you the mental edge and energy you need to thrive. Crappy coffee can sap your energy, hurt your performance, and give you that gut rot. This is not what Bulletproof Coffee does. So get started with it today. Go to dailygrindpodcast.com. On the right-hand column, you're going to click the link for Bulletproof Coffee, and you're going to see what all of that hype, talk, and excitement is all about. Again, dailygrindpodcast.com. On the right-hand column, click the link for Bulletproof Coffee and get it started today. With us to share his story in the Daily Grind today is none other than Mr. Seth Godin. Now, for the one person out there who doesn't know who Seth is, Seth Godin is the author of 18 books that have been bestsellers around the world and have been translated into more than 35 languages. He writes about the post-industrial revolution, the way ideas spread, marketing, quitting, leadership, and most of all, changing everything. You might be familiar with his books, Lynchpin, Tribes, The Dip, and Purple Cow. In addition to writing and speaking, Seth founded Yo-Yo Dine and Squidoo. His blog, which you can find by typing Seth into Google, yes, it's that easy, is one of the most popular in the entire world. He was recently inducted into the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame, one of three chosen for this honor in 2013. And recently, Seth once again set the book publishing industry on its ear by launching a series of four books via Kickstarter. The campaign reached its goal after three hours and ended up becoming the most successful book project ever done this way. Today on The Daily Grind, Seth shares some amazing insight and information. So grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, sit back, and enjoy today's episode. Seth Godin, welcome to The Daily Grind. How are you doing this morning? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm really excited that you're here. What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world, Seth? Well, I just got back from a week on the road. Uh, I was doing some work with organizations I care about in California. Um, we've been working hard on the Alt-MBA, marketing seminars in full flow. So things are good. We're busy and good. Fantastic. Love it. You know what, Seth? For, say, the one or two people out there who don't know who you are, if you don't mind, just give me a 30-second spiel on, on who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm a teacher and an entrepreneur. Uh, mostly I'm known for writing 18 best-selling books about marketing, how ideas spread, doing work that matters. And now I run the Alt-MBA, which is a 30-day intensive workshop online, as well as the marketing seminar which is a 100-day intensive that helps people tell their stories in ways that spread. Wow, love it. I mean, 18 best-selling novels. Is there a 19th coming out? I got to ask. Well, I've never done a novel, so I gotta, I'm off the hook on that yeah, one. you're but, right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, 
no, no new books. What I found was that people wanted to hear from me. They like reading my blog every day, but a book isn't on the agenda for most people going forward. They're just, it's a medium that is a great souvenir, a great way to spread an idea. But, uh, I don't feel like it's the best place to put my words going forward if I want my words to spread. So where is that medium for you? Like where, if you're looking for your words to spread, what are you doing right now? Well, I've blogged every day for 15 or 20 years and you know, I can reach a million people in a day with a blog post. I can't do that with a book. Yeah. And, um, you know, the podcast, which I launched last week, seems like it's off to a good start. Again, my my goal has never been volume. My goal is not to reach a lot of people. My goal is to teach them and to teach people. You need enrollment. You need voluntary participation. You need to go where people want to go. And I don't offer a degree. There's no certificate. There's nothing I can hold hostage. Yeah. It's just here's here's the work. Take it if you want it. Love it. Now, Seth, if you don't mind, like what I like to do is kind of go back in time a little bit and walk through your entrepreneurial journey because I know a lot of people are listening. They go, wow, Seth Godin, like I can't even imagine being where he is, but you were where a lot of people are, right? So if you don't mind, kind of walk through your entrepreneurial journey a little bit. Like what led you to what you're doing now? Well, I think it's really important to dispense with the special snowflake, special cases uh, theory of the world that... Now, Vincent Van Gogh or Steve Jobs, they're supposed to be special cases, geniuses, people who had powers far beyond those of mortal men or women. And um, I just don't buy it. I, I I don't think that there's anything in our DNA that guarantees one outcome or another. I think it makes a big difference who your parents are. It makes a big difference what decade you were born in. It makes a big difference who your friends were growing up. And that's out of your control. Mm -hmm. But given the cards that you've got, the question is, what will you do with them? And so that's why I'm hesitant to sort of paint this heroic journey of smart decisions on my part. Because most of my success is due to a combination of persistence and luck. And I'm grateful for the luck every day and proud more of the persistence than of the wisdom I brought to most of the decisions I made. I love it. Now, like, how do you measure success for yourself outside of revenue? Like, what do those metrics look like for you? You know, there was a period of time, maybe 10 or 15 years, where success and survival were the same thing. Yeah. The goal was to get to keep doing it. Uh, it was much, much more difficult in the 1990s to put together a freelance career than it is now. Uh, there was no internet. There was no easy way to connect one person to another. There was no easy way to get clients. There was no easy way to produce work, uh, that you could let, I mean, I didn't even own a laser printer when I started in, in, in in 86 as a book package, I had to go down the street, pay a dollar a page to print out the pages. And so the cycle has made it so that there are way more people competing with you but also so that if you choose to do this work, the levers that are available to you, the potential audience that's out there is huge. Now that's intimidating Mm -hmm. because it feels like infinity is the only option that a million views isn't enough. You need 5 million or 10 million or a hundred million that once I got 2.3 billion views 
for his music video. Oh, all of a sudden, that's the standard. Yeah. And my argument has been that we need to focus on the minimum viable audience, not the largest audience. If you can figure out the smallest group you can get away with and obsess about them and delight them, you have a much easier time of delivering work that truly matters. But I didn't answer your question. Your question was, how am I defining success? Yeah. Ever, ever since I got to the point where I didn't have to worry about paying for dinner, yeah. um, I made the intentional shift to say, more is not better. That my goal is not, how can I be more famous? How do I get more traffic? How do I have more Facebook friends? I don't keep track of any of those things. I'm not trying to do those things. My goal is, can I change somebody in a way that they need and want to be changed? Can I earn trust, which will thus get to enrollment, thus I can do the teaching that I want to do? And if it's only for 100 people, that's fine with me. If it turns out that I can deliver it well enough that those 100 people tell 100 more people, now I've got 10,000. And that is how you start to make an impact. Yeah. Really love it. Now, did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was this something that you always knew or is this something that just kind of developed? Yeah, I don't think of myself as a particularly successful entrepreneur. If you define entrepreneur as someone who takes other people's money, builds something bigger than themselves and then sells it. Yeah. You know, I've done that. I've done that once, but I haven't done it eight times. And uh, I'm not measuring what most investors, venture capitalists would like their entrepreneurs to measure. Mm -hmm. So I'm an entrepreneur of convenience because what I want to do is this interesting art-driven, creative teaching transformation thing. And I'd like to do it at scale. Um, and so acting like an entrepreneur some of the time certainly pays off. Yeah. And But most of the time I'm a freelancer. And freelancers aren't entrepreneurs. Freelancers get paid when we work, and we do the work with our own two hands. Okay. And being a freelancer, I find very gratifying. You know, I didn't delegate this podcast or this blog post to somebody else. I did it myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really interesting. And I, and I know you've been doing this for years. I mean, you've seen so many changes in technology and the way people do things. Like, what was been what has been that biggest obstacle for you? Or if you don't view them as obstacles, but what's been that biggest hurdle that you've had to um, overcome, so to speak, to get where you are? Oh, I I don't think there's one. I think there's a lot yeah. when it when it comes to shifting of technology. I think the biggest challenge that I have that most people have is understanding the difference between what I want technology to do and what the market is pushing technology to do. So when the World Wide Web came along, I poo-pooed it as something ineffective, uh, slow, poorly designed, no business model. I was wrong, right? Yes. When uh, we're now at the point where 50% of most web traffic is from a cell phone, not a desktop. Mm -hmm. And I know that when someone visits one of my things on a cell phone, they're acting dumber than if they visited it on a laptop. Yeah. That it, it makes things surface oriented, uh, it makes things pretty instead of important, and I fight it. But by fighting it, it means that I'm letting the market walk away from me. And I have a long history of that, of, of insisting that somehow by holding back, I could change the market. And I'm almost always wrong. But I don't want to 
lead the race to the bottom. And so there's this tension for me of saying, all right, fine. If you guys all want to just swipe right, swipe right, swipe right, go do that with somebody else because that's not what I'm here for. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And like take us through like when you're just starting out and, and, you know, you decided that this is something that you really wanted to do and you just started to pursue it. Like what were some of the winning behaviors which you started to have to incorporate into your life and what are some of the losing ones which you had to get rid of? Because I know we all fight that. Yeah, the biggest losing one uh, was not understanding that I had to talk to people in a way they wanted to hear as opposed to talking to people the way I thought was right. So, you know, I went to business school, then I showed up in the book publishing industry with spreadsheets and three-piece suits and market analysis. But that's not how people in the book publishing industry talk to each other. So So they just ignored me. And figuring out, the empathy of going to where people are instead of the arrogance of insisting that they hear you the way you hear yourself. That's certainly the biggest shift and the one that feels the most universal to me that if you're not getting the, if you're not creating the impact that you seek, it could be because you're just wrong, Mm -hmm. but it more probably in that you are listening to the noise in your head instead of having the empathy for what other people see, what other people want, and what other people believe. Yeah, makes a lot of sense because I think it's it's shown in today's society, especially with businesses, entrepreneurs, or freelancers like yourself, where they think that what they have is special and that people are going to just show up and they don't have to look at what other people want and sort of ask them and then deliver it to them. Like they're missing that step, whereas that's exactly what you did is you're not that, – that's what you're saying in your shift is you're going to people and seeing what they want, delivering it to them and communicating it to them in the way in which they want to be communicated to. That's right. And then the other thing, which is a disease that's been spread by magazines and investors, you know, there might be 20 million small businesses in the United States – of a certain character, and only one of them is Facebook. Yeah. The chance, the chances that you will take venture money and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and become one of the most important companies in the world are essentially zero. Uh, someone sent me a note the other day that points out that for all intents and purposes, your chances of winning the lottery are the same whether or not you buy a ticket. Wow. Right. Basically, it's zero. Yeah. And the same thing is true with your business. It's not going to be Facebook. And the chances that it's going to be Facebook are essentially zero. So therefore, stop acting that way. Stop waiting for a home run where you're going to raise millions of dollars and blah, blah, blah. That most of us are going to do a business that matters, put a book in the world that matters to a few people. And if you can figure out how to matter a lot, to a thousand or 10,000 people, that's enough. And you will discover that that method gets you much closer to what you seek than the idea of averaging it out, dumbing it down and making it louder so that everyone likes it because everyone's just not going to like it. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're a lot more uh, progress driven than results driven. Am I right? I don't like the word results in this yeah. context because I think if I can change the life of one person, that's a result. Yeah. 
Um, but yes, it's, if we're thinking about, you know, the Newtonian uh, calculus of it, I care about acceleration and change a lot more than I care about absolute numbers. Yeah. And that's the thrill for me is how is this different and better than it was yesterday? Really interesting. Now, obviously, self-education has played a massive part. It always does in entrepreneur's life. I know, especially for you. Like, I was wondering for you, I always ask about, I believe in mentors and being able to have mentors by your side to be able to help you accelerate the process, avoid mistakes, etc. I'm sure you've had a ton, but if you don't mind, either just sharing one or two or how they have helped you. Yeah, I would delightfully argue with you about this point. Okay. Uh, it, it's something that I care a lot about. Here's the problem. The problem is that mentors don't scale and that mentors is another version. Uh, the search for a mentor is another version of the, well, I don't have, I wasn't born with the right DNA. If I just had the right mentor, if I just had that, then everything would be better. What about coach? Is coach a better word? Well, I, I think that I wrote a blog post about mentors and okay. heroes. And I think that heroes, which are mentors from afar, yep. mentors who don't even know you exist, heroes are priceless because mm -hmm. they, they let you know it could be done and they give you a compass. So you get to say to yourself, what would Oprah do? What would Jacqueline Novogratz do? Yeah. Right? What would Cat Hoke do in this situation? And if you, if you know your hero well enough, you can gain an enormous amount of insight from so I've had countless heroes, and I've been lucky enough that some of them have actually become my friends and my colleagues. And what I have discovered is that as friends and colleagues, these people are thrilling and beautiful and important, but they're not nearly as good as a help, as a mentor, than they were when they were my heroes. Yeah. That it's our imagination of the, of the true north that they bring us, that is priceless. So yeah, I've definitely had people in my life who showed up and lent a hand when there was nothing in it for them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can underestimate how important it is. But if you don't have that person handy, and I would say more times in my life, I have not had that person handy, then the question is, what are you gonna do about it? So when I became a book packager, the person who had unsolicited offered to be my mentor in the industry, the day I became a book packager, decided he had other things to do and never showed up again. And so I was adrift in a brand new industry with nobody. And the practice of then finding heroes to say, oh, I've seen how this person has navigated the industry. I've seen how this person navigated a different industry. What would they do if they were me? that became priceless, right? Yeah. And, but then you also brought up coaching. I think coaching is a whole different area because it turns out, well, I, I, I took a Olympic level swim lesson. I am not right. an Olympic level swimmer, <laughs> but it was an Olympic level swim lesson. It lasted three days okay. with a guy who was a coach and consultant to the US Olympic swim team. Wow. And Bill Boomer only had one arm had a huge pot belly, and as far as I know, did not know how to swim. <laughs> and he was the greatest swim coach of all time. Yeah. Because he had a point of view, because he was able to articulate it, and because he was able to see and respond back to what he saw. And yes, go find a coach. And in the Alt-MBA, we have 
more than 50 coaches around the world who work with us live in the 30-day session we do. And what we know is that that coaching that people get is the secret to the, their transformation. Because when another human being looks at you and tells you their version of your truth, it makes us better. Yeah. You know what? I really love the way you put that. And, you know, I think I generalize mentor in all of those things that you had said. So I kind of glad that you kind of cleared those things up. And even for me, you know, heroes in my life, especially early on when I was a professional golfer, it was people like Tiger Woods, right? And then now I get into business life, it's people like yourself and Gary Vaynerchuk. And those are the people that every day you get to turn to. And it really just gets deep down that inspiration, which you need to really do things that you otherwise couldn't. And especially being in 2018, right? I think it's, I think it's huge around the world. And I like the idea of coaches too, because even for myself, you know, I view a coach as a hero or a mentor, whatever, whatever word that you want to use. But I think that those two things are super important. I'm really glad that you were uh, able to clear that up, (laughs) so to speak. Well, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure. You know, the thing is, I believe that each of us, including me, has way more in us than we put on the table. Yeah. Way more to contribute, way more to share. And we hold ourselves back. Now, what's happened with the internet is because we've eliminated so many of the physical barriers of speaking up. Like it used to be, you could whine and complain that no one would publish your work. You could whine and complain that you couldn't get written up in Fast Company or Business Week. But now, just put up a medium post. No one's stopping you. So with all of those openings, we got to find a new thing to whine and complain about because what we're really doing is hiding and helping people unhide, be found, is a key part of my work. Yeah, I love that. Now, one thing I always like to ask, and I'm especially interested in asking you here today, Seth, um, I'm wondering if you could go back in time, and you can choose the age, go back in time and offer yourself one piece of advice or guidance or something to yourself that would set you up. I'm wondering what that would be for you and why. You know, there were, there were several times in my life when, like most entrepreneurs, I was really at a bottom yeah. and uh, really sure that that was the end of that. And I have two parts to answer your question. The first part is I wouldn't actually cause myself to do anything different because all of the failures and all of the frustration were essential to get to where I, to get to where I am today. And I'm happy with where I am today. So I don't want to redo that. But the one thing I would tell myself is it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's universal. I think that whatever happens is okay. I think that if you can become okay with the work you're doing, you are way more likely to do even better work tomorrow. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice for a lot of people. Now, Seth, like, let's face it, like you've made it. Whatever it is, <laughs> okay? I don't know if you know, but you've made it, okay? So like, when did you know that you made it? Like, I know you had mentioned earlier that, you know, once you started to be able to not worry about paying for dinner, then you were able to focus on some other things. But when did you know, like, for sure? You know, I was doing a seminar in my office. uh, How many years ago? It was probably 2005. 
And I had this big, big, ugly office to myself, really ugly, like there were rodents in it. And um, it was for charity. So there were 40 people had come and donated $8,000 to spend a day at this seminar. And uh, it was going really well. And at noon, my agent, whose office had been down the hall, came in with a fax. They used to have these things called faxes. And she came in with a fax, and it was the New York Times bestseller list. And what it showed was that my new book had made the list. Wow. And I started to cry. Mm -hmm. And the reason I started to cry wasn't because I was pleased that I'd made the list. I'd made the list before. It was because it didn't change anything for me. And the idea that there's some magical positive thing that's going to arrive and change everything, it's just the fairy godmother, she's out of business. She doesn't show up very often. Mm -hmm. And we've got what we've got. And so I don't believe that there's this before I make it and then after I make it moment for most of us. We may invent a narrative about it, but in fact, the fuel that I rely on every day to feel alive and to do my work is to know that I'm not even close to making it. Because making it for me is not about the outside world giving me applause. Making it for me is healing things for others and inspiring them to go to a new place. And I don't think I'm ever going to be finished with that. Yeah. I hope you're not because you're doing it to people every single day. And like, what's a daily ritual routine habit that you do every single day that you say you would attribute to your success or say getting things done? The best advice I have on this topic is that you should blog every day. And it doesn't even matter if anyone reads it. Uh, In fact, it might be better if no one reads it. But do it in public and do it every day. Because here's what happens. The night before, which means every night, you will go to bed thinking to yourself, I'm going to have to write something tomorrow, which means that all night long in your sleep, you will be imagining assertions about the future. And then you will gain in practice the ability to say something about the future that you know people can look at a month or a year later. And you will get comfortable with being wrong and you will get comfortable with being bold and you will get comfortable with being generous. And if you do that every day, it only takes 10 minutes. It feels to me like that will unlock things inside of you because right now you might be saying you're not qualified to do this, but then you will discover you don't need a permit, you don't need a license, and that everyone is equally qualified to do it. Yeah, love that. And how long would you recommend a blog post be? Uh, As short as possible. Really? That's got a lot of... uh, insight in that sentence because I didn't say short I said as short as possible yeah and everything I've ever written if I've done my job is as short as possible so the dip is only 80 pages long and my publisher said can you make it longer I said if I could make it longer that would make it worse do you want me to do that (laughs) because I made it as short as possible yeah and that has always I think been the rule for most things that are created in media. I mean, I don't think you want a massage to be as short as possible, but just about everything else should be as short as possible. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Seth, 
We've heard a lot from you today. You've shared a ton of great content. We covered a lot of topics. I always say, say my audience listens back. They remember nothing, but they can go home with one thought, one thing out of this podcast today. What do you want that one thought or one thing to be? Uh, Your life is too important to be boiled down to remembering one thing, that shortcuts are overrated and you ought to look for the long cut every time you can. Love it. Now, Seth, what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? For those who don't know about your blog, you don't mind just sharing that here uh, for our audience? That'd be great. Sure. Type Seth into Google and there I am. And if you want more on the two courses, it's altmba.com or themarketingseminar.com. You know you're powerful when you just got to type your first name in and you'll find anything you want to know, right? I love it. Well, it's only because my mother didn't name me Scott. She was going to name me Scott, but my grandfather said, don't do that. That's a brand of toilet paper. So thank you, Grandpa. (laughs) Love it. Well, Seth, I want to say from you, thank you so much for coming on the show. For those listening, I reached out to Seth the moment I wanted to start this podcast. He said, you know what, Colin? Come back to me when it's episode number 100. I did. I marked it down in my calendar, and that drove me to get to episode 100. So I want to thank you very much, Seth, for jumping on the show here with me today. Well, I want to thank you because as a podcaster, I can tell you, showing up 100 times in a row over and over and (laughs) over again, it's not easy. So congratulations. Celebrate. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate it so much. Have a great rest of your day, and thank you again for coming on the show with us. All right. We'll see you around, Colin. That is it, everyone, for episode number 100. We did it. We got 100 down. We have hundreds and hundreds of more to come. And as you can see from this episode and the 100 before, success is driven by passion, hunger, and doing what you love. Everyone has to overcome obstacles. Everyone has a story. Start building yours today. That's why I do this show. Today, we had the chance to speak again with the amazing Seth Godin. And if you haven't already, everyone, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and go to iTunes and leave me a comment. Everything helps. Until next time, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding. (laughs) 